0: And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. October the 21st, it's with myself, Andrew Monk, the CEO of VSA Capital. We get it right. And Phil Smith, our
1: head of tech and transitional energy research. How are you, Phil? Very good. Thank you very much, Andrew. But I was reading on the BBC website today that Unilever are thinking of putting up the price of Marmite. So that was (laughs) was a bit
0: upset. Are you a Marmite lover then?
1: Yeah, I like Marmite.
0: Uh, I, uh, people do say I'm a bit Marmite myself. Some people like me, some people can't stand me.
1: Oh, that's a bit harsh. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also, I've had a very busy week this week. So you're going to again have to look. I've been in Beijing this week. Um, not in reality, virtually, unfortunately, but we had an incredible conference there this week in mining. Uh, and so I have been uh, getting up at four o'clock and in the office at half past five every day. So... I, we'll just see where today goes we'll see where they go actually i'll tell it why don't we start today we can have a little bit of a chat about one of our favorite subjects but obviously there's a lot in the press at the moment about cop 26 and we've had all these dignitaries and bill gates or whatever all fly in to uh, talk to boris johnson the, the newspapers have been full of the green revolution and putting in charging points all around the country so that you won't be able to move for them Uh, Energy storage everywhere, wind and solar everywhere. Boris says it's going to be all whiff whap and amazing. And I'm sure it will be, by the way. But it's all over the newspapers. Um, And we've also seen this week um, a potential IPO coming out of a company called Gallion, a zinc bromide, Australian zinc bromide um, battery manufacturer. And I thought it would be quite useful, and I'm going to turn the floor a little bit over to you, Phil. You know, obviously, we act for Invinity, our favourite vanadium flow battery company. There's quite a lot of other battery companies that have, have sort of are coming to mind, shall we say? I know one was AMTE about six months ago. I mean, we had a lot of question marks about the valuation and how much cash they'd, they'd raised. And I noticed that actually, basically, since the IPO, the stock has slowly but surely gone from the top left-hand corner of the graph, the chart, to the bottom right, and stocks come right back to sort of 180p. Um, But I thought it would be quite interesting to ask you the question, Phil, is, you know, what is the basic difference between all of these different batteries and why is it to a certain extent that we're so keen on vanadium? I mean, obviously, I do know the reason for that. It's because it has this long life. It doesn't degrade. I mean, that's the real key to it, isn't it? But do you want to just give a little bit of a chat between the difference between that and a zinc bromide, iron... An iron battery that obviously Bill Gates is trying to promote, and, and some of these others. What, what's what's what is, what's your view there, and the difference?
1: The main hey, that's a big question. The um the okay, the main differences are in terms of often physical size of the energy density. That's the amount of sort of energy you can get out for the uh for the weight, um, for the you know, for the efficiency of the things what's called round trip efficiency, um, and the longevity of the of the technology. Um clearly lithium ion is the most uh, you know, as it has been, the tech of choice and is is the most widely use, but there are, you know, there are no known issues with, with lithium-ion. I mean, of course, one of those is thermal runaway and heat performance. But also, if you cycle it uh, constantly, then its ability to hold charge uh, degrades over time and they need replacing, and there's a cost of a cost of replacing them. But lithium-ion is a very dense uh, technology, so, they you know, you can get quite a lot of energy into a relatively small volumatic space. For example and then we have we have um flow batteries and, and infinity energy you know our client is a flow battery technology company uh and that's a that's a different mechanism i mean you have tanks of fluids um and where you've got something like vanadium where you have vanadium you know where there's an extra electron or where there's a lesser electron so the charge is different so you're pumping the fluids around you, you know around tanks and, and through a membrane but but the, the beauty of that is that with uh, with flow battery technology, you can you can constantly charge and recharge. You get a real high depth of charge, and they don't wear out um, so much over time. So you know there, there are advantages to the technology there. Um, and of course, Gellion is um, instead of it's a it's a form flow battery, but it's it's a gel type. Um, so instead of having tanks of fluids, it's they're using gels and a separating membrane. But it's an earlier it's you know this particular company is interesting to look at but it's come out it's a spin out of the university so it's not at a a later commercial um stage per se yet and they claim that because you don't have the tanks and the pumps then it's a potentially lower cost solution than the vanadium flow battery solution so there's well there's a lot of different formats out there but i think what's interesting andrew is that there are more alternatives to lithium appearing and i think that, that is a good thing because it means that the engine, the project engineers um, are likely to be opening their eyes to different solutions beyond lithium. So that is that's a plus.
0: I, I agree, I should totally agree with you on that. I think to have more technologies would be a really good thing. But again, coming back to I me, mean, one of the big things, isn't it, is that when you're basically turning one fluid into a slightly different fluid be it you know through sort of oxidation and this sort of thing as you say moving the electrons around yeah. basically it's just fluid and so there's no degradation because there's nothing in in the middle of it all that degrades. the problem with things like zinc bromide and some of these other technologies and, and iron which is basically you're, you're rusting something and then de-rusting it um, right. which as we know rust isn't good um you know you, you're you're plating and so the plate basically can wear out kind of that's why you get this degradation
1: Um, and isn't this the issue? Uh, Yes there are there are technical challenges with that yeah you do get uh, you do get corrosion that's recognized in in zinc Um, but there are you know as you know there are ways of getting around that by using different sort of metal elements added to the to the electrodes Um, but also you know different elements to electrolytes but I guess the thing is, it's it's one of those great things. It's a technical unknown. Um, there are solutions, and then it's a case of you know how they are implemented, what the costs involved, um, mm. the, you know, what are the costs involved there, how much of a, a risk are these things? It's it's just that element of uh, of uncertainty. But as I say, on the flip side, the fact is that different technologies are appearing, which is a which is a I think just overall that is a positive thing.
0: I do agree with that. I mean, the other one that worries me slightly on zinc bromide. I don't know, did you ever look at Primus Power? Um, yeah. I've not seen okay. that. Logo. About $130 million went into that and it, it it never got going. It was a zinc bromide battery and unfortunately it has um, fallen to pieces, shall we say. After $130 million, that's a lot of money to throw at something and then not get a result. Um, anyway, look, um, it's interesting. I think, um, again, you know, There's so much talk about trying to go to, you know, net zero, as it's all called. Energy storage has got to happen, and uh, it's really not a case of which uh, method is the best, but, you know, what is going to come and sit alongside lithium? Because at the moment, that's really the only thing out there, and I've got to be alternatives. Um, Yeah, it's
1: interesting as well that there aren't many of them, Andrew. There don't seem to be too many around.
0: Um, no, I don't think there are, and there are certainly very few around that are, you know, in production and operating, which obviously is where Invinency have a huge advantage. You know, they're, they're now operating their first cluster at the Energy Superhub Oxford, and this week, of course, they announced they're putting it in for Scottish Water. Uh, and these are these are seriously good brand or brands is the wrong word, but, you know, household names, Scottish Water, EDF, that are are buying this kit off Infinity and running
1: it. So yeah, it's 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 exciting. It is, and there's a the, there is so much capital going into the space. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you saw this week, Andrew, as well that uh, ITM Power uh, raised uh, nearly a quarter of a billion pounds uh, Actually, do You know, it's
0: funny because. Phil, they announced that last Thursday, just yeah. after we'd finished recording 18. this podcast. 18. <laughs> 18, yeah. We got a bit caught out there, didn't we? But yeah, that was a hell of a raise. Um, yeah. Obviously, they had the advantage they got Linda, uh, who sort of cornerstone that raise, but 250 million. And that just shows the sort of sums of money you really need. Um, and of course, you know, as, you know, ITM are basically an electrolyzer creating uh, hydrogen. And if you're going to create green hydrogen, which is what they want to do, you know, you create it from renewable power, which is wind farms and solar energy. And of course, you, you've got to keep that power going constantly. But the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So you've got to have energy storage sitting in the middle. ITM only works with energy storage. And it is being talked about, you know, when does, would ITM invest in Invinity or something like that? Because it's it's such a natural fit. I think I might have to go up to Sheffield, Phil. Should we go to Sheffield? Be delighted. We know the way up there. <laughs> Actually... I'm not very good at up north. I have to be careful what I say. I might get shot for this, but it's yeah, Darlington. Yeah. It's <laughs> Darlington near Sheffield.
1: It's hey, we're going to get corrected by our listeners. It's on the way ish. Yeah, is it? Because I noticed Darlington. that uh, Yorkshire. No? I think Darlington's kind of Yorkshire. I'm, I'm from Cheshire though, Andrew. That's the other side of the country. Yorkshire's miles up north, isn't it? Anyway, moving swiftly onwards. No, I mentioned be- Darlington
0: though. I'm going to tell you, no because yeah. this is relevant actually. Sorry, because but you right. may remember you you wrote a note called Picks and Shovels in the transitional energy space. I did. And talked a little bit about Techmar. I did. Do the undersea cables and everything from these wind farms. Yeah. To get the energy from the wind farm to the land, so it's all part of this little jigsaw puzzle we're we're picking up. And uh, they had a trading statement today, and. Uh, uh, it was a bit sort of yeah, if you see what I mean. But um we like it because it's a picks and shovels. And although they did, well, I suppose effectively warn on current trading. I'll just I'm gonna find it for you a second. What do they they said? Um uh it says the thing is that it's a very interesting proposition and a very interesting position for wind farm development, as they say the industry is a major inflection point in terms of significant acceleration offshore wind capacity investment and so they then went on and said that this combined with the broader energy transition aligned with the net zero by 2050 imperative and our initiatives to deepen and extend our capability across the energy product life cycle provide clear drivers for sustained future growth. Now the market actually didn't like it particularly uh, and has smacked the stock 15% or something Um, but uh, I think they're right about the long-term viability of Tecma, uh, which is why I emailed them, and they're, they're based in Darlington, so I think we need to go and see them in Darlington, Phil.
1: Excellent. I look forward to that. But I do hear what they say about longer-term investment and, you know, particularly on wind power. And I don't know if you saw that uh, Greencoat Renewables, uh, particularly like GRP, they've raised €165 million um, Euros, uh, this week, and they already have a whole mix of wind and solar assets. Uh, that they look after in Ireland and in Europe they've got 300 megawatts um, what they said here uh, exclusivity over 300 megawatts of assets um, and a very large pipeline opportunities ahead so it's the capital coming into the sector and there's a lot of it.
0: I mean there's a huge amount of capital piling into the sector but they do tend to go into the what I scrub as sort of project funds don't they where, where you know the, the project fund manager yeah we're gonna we're gonna run a battery farm or we're gonna run a solar farm with battery not that many are going into the actual other than icm obviously the actual underlying companies which is really perhaps where we need to see some money flowing and actually it's where you get okay you can invest in a nice uh energy farm and maybe get 10 percent per annum um but you invest in the underlying companies you can get you know 100
1: per annum Oh yeah, if you get, get invested in the underlying tech, but that's why, as I say, this, this like this whole idea of more tech coming into the sector and getting under the noses of the project managers is like really, really important. And maybe they will shift, you know, in terms of what they're investing and how they invest, they'll invest more towards the tech. I mean, that's could happen. Mm.
0: No, it's it's all go. <laughs> it always is all go. <laughs> it's not. It's not dull. No. Uh, but I also say that Boris, was it, I think it was Boris again, you know, probably just before he was having dinner with all these dignitaries that came over to, I think it was dinner with the Queen. Um, so she couldn't make it to Ireland, unfortunately, but she probably could have dinner with these dignitaries. Um, but he was talking about literally thousands of charge points, tens, hundreds of thousands of charge points going in all around the country um, to get us all to drive EVs. And then there was, he's also talking about, I think, giving us £5,000 to replace our... Our old boiler, and by that, I mean the gas boiler that heats the water, not a sort of um, <laughs> yeah. name of... Uh, yep. Don't read me wrong on that one. <laughs> My wife wouldn't like that at all. Uh, uh, they're putting a heat pump. Um, do you think that will catch on?
1: What well, heat pumps? Um, I'll tell you the difficulty. The, the big challenge with anything that involves uh, changeover in a home of things like boilers is a man or a lady in a van. They all need to be installed. And the old systems deinstalled, uh, and it's totally different technology to sort of standard gas boilers. And everyone needs training up. There's quite a long cycle involved in doing it in the first place. That's just one, you know, one barrier as to how efficient the heat pumps are versus a gas boiler. I have to say I don't know, but uh, hmm. but there needs to be looking at alternatives.
0: I mean, I I do remember, and you may well too. Not suggesting that you're as old as me, but we're both getting on a little bit. Um when uh basically the whole country went to gas. I remember getting the first gas boiler in actually, and it was incredibly exciting. Um because dare I say, it, I certainly know that I remember going god, I remember going and visiting my uh my grandmother when I was young. I mean, all she had was an arger that was was used coal, and that was the only form of cooking and heating she had in the entire house. Right. Um and then I remember, yeah. Gas came along, didn't it? You know, and uh, yeah, North Sea North Sea Gas, the whole country got gasified, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I remember all of that. And then, of course, you know, in I think it was 1986, we had the the IPO of, of British Gas, tell Sid, you know, tell Sid to get out there and invest his money in British Gas. That's turning the clock back isn't it? Right. Let's move on quickly. I'm showing how old I am.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, well, the, um, well, on the subject of EVs and uh, electrification, did you see Tesla's results were out this week? And it was their third quarter results. And something that caught my eye in this was, apart from improving gross margins and top-line revenue, was a number of cars that they had built. Um, and they had built uh, and. 38,000 vehicles in the period to uh, september end the quarter and um there's an honest comment here that might be on target to build 900,000. 000. blimey i mean that's real getting to real scale in automotive and they've done that in the midst of the biggest crisis has ever been in supplies of um you know electronics and semiconductors into the automotive market that i can remember i thought that was quite now, Tesla will be in a lot of folks' funds as well, so that was Well, quite... I did
0: see a, I saw a headline somewhere that said, we might have to start believing what Elon Musk says. Oof. And Everyone's... I know the stock price is back at $865, which I think is basically a record high again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the stock's performing too. Um, yeah. You can't ignore Tesla. Amazing.
1: Just do you think that you know to do that with their supply chains in the state that supply's been in? You think what it's going to be like when things actually ease up? Bloody uh, hell! That was I thought that was very impressive. There you go.
0: I'm glad you liked it.
1: <laughs> what yeah, else you seen this week? Hey, right. I tell you what. I've got to. Uh, did you see? Right, just quickly off company results, but a cracking article. It was a really interesting article in the Times um, about someone that's. Um, That's a tech firm. They're growing basil in a vertical farm in Scunthorpe using um, LED lighting. And we've talked a bit about agri tech, uh, but this was fascinating. And I reckon they've got the capacity to grow half of just under half of the UK's daily basil requirements. Those that use basil in salads, etc. But all that growing. You're not. This isn't Monty Python sketch, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. No, I. That did occur to me when I was reading this article. But isn't that amazing? I thought that was quite that was quite something. Right, we did. I better before we uh, before we go off. There have been a number of a couple of trading statements, and these for, these are for companies that I think are real quality. Um, been around for a while, Spectris, uh, and this is one I used to used to cover as analyst. The ticker SXS. Uh, market cap's about $4.2 billion, and they had a trading update for three months to September. Why this one is interesting to look at um, for investors is they make instrumentation. So it's electronic instrumentation um, that's used in all sorts of areas of measurement, you know, for noise, vibration, material thickness. Um, they've got X-ray equipment for, for X-ray mining samples. So they supply to automotive aerospace, mining, environmental um, so a whole range of industries. So just from reading their trading updates, you can start to get a feel for what is really happening in the underlying um, economy. Uh, and they had seen their orders up. Now, bearing in mind, you know, this is kind of three months to this September, Andrew, and last three months to last September was not a great time in terms of world economy. But their orders were up to 31%. Um, which caught me, and they're expecting a 12% like-for-like. Like. You've always got this company acquires and dispo- you know, it's a portfolio company, so you're looking at like-for-like like revenues because certainly biz- businesses will be disposed of in the time. But they were saying, so strong order growth, uh, good revenue recovery, but they said um, that it was across all regions but with the strongest performance in Asia driven by China and South Korea and then followed by Europe and North America. And they'd seen some of the strongest demand you know, naturally in semiconductors, which was just been mentioned with Tesla and electronics, uh, but also into metals and mining, an area you know about very well, uh, and mm-hmm. pharmaceutical because their, their instrumentation is, is used for, um, developed for drug discovery uh, for measuring compounds. So that was Spectris, um, mm-hmm. and, and a really interesting company to watch there. The other one is Renishaw. Yeah, um, that was one hell of a result today, wasn't it? What a return around recovery. Sure, believe me, Riley. Now, Renishaw, you may, investors may remember, was uh, in March of this year, it was announced that uh, the two founders, uh, John Deere and Sir David McMurtry, had wanted, to, uh, wanted to sell off their combined share, 53% of the company, and the company market cap is £3.4 billion, and they got. The guys, I think, are in their, early, in their 70s, but they were going to sell oh, their they, share.
0: They announced in July that they, they couldn't get anyone to buy it, didn't they?
1: They did indeed. And, and part of that was they said, uh, and I can believe this actually, that no suitable offers that satisfactorily met satisfactorily met the interests of all stakeholders. Uh, and we consider our stakeholders... You know, considering, you know, the culture of the company it wanted to keep commitment to local communities where they operate. And obviously employees, because, you know, companies get bought out, big ones. What happens? Usually it's restructuring. But so getting back to the biz. Yeah, as you say, what a quiet turnaround. Um, well,
0: was, you know, it was actually, I can tell you, they came in actually, I hate adjusted profits, but their adjusted profits were just shy of 120 million. Right. Which was up 146 percent from last year. And you know what? They've got 215
1: million of cash in the bank. It was compared with 120 million in the prior period. Now that's what we call operating leverage and drop through. Wow. I mean, uh,
0: maybe maybe they'll get some offers now.
1: <laughs> I would I would I would suspect so at that. And again, they were saying that. So what do they do? They make again. It's measuring equipment, Andrew, for industrial processes. Um, but their, their decoders, their, their measuring kit, it, it is hugely accurate in the degree it can measure to in terms of uh, of dimensions. And they're widely used in semiconductor equipment in manufacturing, but also their measuring probes are used in automotive. But they were saying here that, um, you know, and for, for machine tool products as well. So wherever you go around a factory, you see machine tools, but you'll see a runnish or gauge on there that's measuring. The dimensions of metal beam machine, but strong demand from semiconductors, electronics, uh, and machine tools. So, this is all, do you know what? What's really interesting about this this is capital equipment spend coming back, spectres and Renishaw. Really and when companies aren't confident, what, what do you cut? You cut your travel expenses first, then you cut your capital equipment spend. That goes, you know, you make, do, and mend. Let's leave the kit, replace it next year, Phil. Um, and this is, these are indicators of spend coming back. That's a, that's a good positive thing.
0: Hmm. I'll tell you what, we've got about six minutes left of our 30 minutes and we try and keep it to that. We've got to turn around to our sort of tech trends and and uh, brands um, because obviously this week we're doing the IPO of Silverwood Brands. But I've got, after this call, I've got to go and jump onto a webinar. This is the the company that we've sort of helped create and are floating, which has got um, Andrew Jerry uh, who is the chairman of Hotel Chocolate and also was the CEO and one of the original founders of Lush. In fact, still owns 20% of Lush. Uh, it's also got Angus Thurwell as a senior board advisor. So he is the CEO of Hotel Chocolate. Uh, and they've also got Andrew Tone, who was, uh, in, is in Japan, uh, where brands are very important. Uh, and he worked for Lush as well. And uh, they've also actually got a couple of others who have worked for, you know, been on the boards of Hornby and Virgin and things like this. So it's a really exciting brand, cash shell, effectively, we're, we're creating, that they're then going to go and do deals. Now, obviously, as a cash shell, they can't say what deals they're going to do because they're not allowed to. Um, but these guys really know what they're doing. And I think this is going to be one hell of a stock. Um, so we are actually just doing that at the moment. Obviously, if people want to get involved, let us know. Because uh, you can. It's an IPO. It's um, open to all, effectively. We're not raising too much money because there's no point until they, they've got the deals. We don't need to. Um, but what a team we have put together. But also this whole brand space, Phil, I know we've been talking about a lot because on Monday we're actually going to go and see uh, the division of S Ventures, which is a, a company on the Aquis exchange that we act for that's really growing fast. We're going to see one of their businesses in Gloucester together. But I know you pointed out to me this morning that on uh, um, one of the crowdfunding sites the was there's a company called The Serious Pig, which makes, uh, it was on Crowdcube, wasn't it? Makes yeah. a little bar yeah. snacks um, like snacking ham and, the, and, and snacking cheese and things, whatever. Anyway, yeah. they, they've raised, they appear to have raised about £750,000 on their crowd site. But you know what they're at a valuation of 15 million and only have 1.3 million of sales i mean that's 10 times sales Bill. what that's an
1: incredible valuation well it is well that's what you see for very uh <laughs> leading edge tech companies i was quite astonished at that well hats off to them for doing that i tell you what they do make very tasty snacks um but it's a it's a, it's a great area to be involved with and it's uh you know it's super that we're working with with s ventures and uh and, yeah, Silverwoods, uh, what an exciting board. My word, that's a proven team. That's a proven team there. But we'll be, yeah, we'll be discussing a lot more about this area because, yeah, it's the whole area of it, it, its brands and its food technology and it's, its structural growth, isn't it, Andrew? People's eating habits and what they're doing is changing. Structural growth we're interested in. So, yeah, we might have to change the tech plans and brands. <laughs> It's got a nice rhyme to it.
0: Have you, have you eaten some of these uh, serious pig snacks then? Uh, yes.
1: Does that make you a serious pig? <laughs> right. I'm, uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm not going to answer that one. especially. I couldn't resist that. Sorry. But now I know that Marmite price is going up and being called a serious pig. That's it. That's me for the day. I look forward uh, to chatting but, next week.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We call it a day there.
1: Uh, again, as I
0: say at the end of all of these podcasts, uh, if you've got any comments on what we've said, please let us know. If you've got any companies you want us to talk about, please let us know. We love talking about companies. We don't mind doing a bit of research for you. Uh, although I'll tell you, actually, I'll, as we wrap up, I'll tell you something I've noticed recently, Phil. Mm-hmm. The, uh, although the FCA is trying to make it so that retail investors can't invest in the stock market at all, they'd love them all just to go to funds, more and more retail sites are opening up with, which give them access, should we say, to companies and research. I've noticed an absolute expansion of these things. You know, we all know about the proactive and the mellow. But I saw another one called Investor Meet the other day and a fascinating um, competition run by, by PI World, which I think is quite an interesting uh, business, where they had this um, three retail investors pitching their best idea to three fund managers, one of whom was Andy Bruff, And it was a really interesting video blog, you called, or webinar, I don't know what you call it. Yeah. But. Uh, but oh. fascinating to, to see some of these um so yeah well done pi world i i, I thought that was um th- they put out some really interesting stuff run by a lady called uh, tamsin freeman uh well worth watching some of her stuff hey
1: i'll look out for that i mean I right, look i i'm all in fact anything that gives private investors the opportunity to invest in good quality businesses i mean how are we supposed to grow the economy well you know, well, you know to-
0: we 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 do allow, well, we do it. We, you have to, if you come into our IPOs or our deals at VSA Capital, you have to pre qualify. So you basically tick a box saying, I'm institutional. Uh, we make it as painless as possible. Um, but if you do do that, you can then come into the deals that we're doing. So there you go. On that note, Phil, we'll speak again next week. I look forward to it.